Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Today we're going to keep going in the book of Hebrews. If you remember, last week we didn't have services, but two weeks ago we covered three whole verses in the book of Hebrews. And so if we keep like every other week meeting and uh, then only getting three verses, we're going to take a long time. And so today, Lord willing, we're going to cover a little bit more than that, and uh, we're going to jump in and uh, just a revealing, if you didn't pick it up from the, the video there, it's about Jesus today. And so we're going to talk about Him, uh, we're going to praise Him, and uh, Lord willing, He's going to do a work in your heart as we do that. And so let's just go before Him, before we open up the Scriptures, and every person here has got something different that's happening. Some of you, you know, just got over COVID, and, but you're clear, that's why you're here. And uh, some of you are, uh, you know, struggling, some of you are at mountaintops, the Lord knows all that. And in this very book that we're going to study, it says that His Word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so for some of you, He's going to pierce your heart today, and for others, He's going to cut some things away, and we're just going to go to Him and ask Him to do all that stuff. So let's pray. Father, we come into Your presence this morning and uh, are are thankful that You're working in our lives, that You would work um, to bring us here, whether it's tuning in or whether it's physically in this room. Um, At this moment in history, you decided that we would be this age with these friends and these family members, and we would hear this word. I pray for myself uh, that you would have me not rush through so much to cover today, um, but you just give me just a spirit of trusting your Holy Spirit to speak as you will, and I pray you'd speak to hearts right now. I pray you would draw people to you that are drifting from you. I pray that you would uh, warn people that are deceived about their, their status with you. I pray for those that are passionately in love with you, that you give them a word of encouragement to take the next step in their faith. And, and Father God, I pray you would reconcile relationships, save people, and uh, sanctify us in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we live in a world that is uh, crying out for our attention. It doesn't matter if it's Netflix or Hulu or, you know, Apple TV, whatever show that's out right now that's trying to get you to watch it is crying, give me your time. Or if there's a product that's being sold, they're saying, give me, give me your money. Or maybe some of you have watched the news over the past couple of days and the weather's crying out to you. You know, fear me. You don't know. Is it going to be 12 inches? Is it going to be a twelfth of an inch? You just don't know. And so there's all these things that are crying out for our attention. But did you know that sociologists say that our attention span is not getting bigger? <laughs> About two decades ago, in the year 2000, they estimated that our attention span as human beings is 12 seconds. That's bad news if you're a teacher, by the way. And they say now, uh, despite what some uh, TV personalities will tell you about goldfish, that our attention span is actually shorter than goldfish. That goldfish can pay attention for nine seconds, that most humans, it's eight seconds. Blame whatever you will. TikTok, social media, you know, whatever you want to do. But the reality is we are having things cry out for our attention, but our attention span keeps shrinking. And I think most of us would agree that the majority of people are very distracted. In fact, many of you even right now are deciding whether, am I going to pay attention to this? Or am I going to plan lunch? And what about out there? What's the weather later today? And how about my sister who's in Arizona? Like it's all these like random things, right? And you see it in driving. Have you ever noticed distracted drivers? Think about the things that people get distracted with in the car, putting on makeup, eating. Have you ever seen people with pets in their car? They're riding around with their pet on their lap and it's like, you can't possibly be paying attention. If you haven't seen this, we've got video evidence. (laughs) This guy's having a conversation with his parrot. Have you ever seen people that shouldn't be transporting things, transporting things with their vehicle? (laughs) That's tied to that guy's arm, if you didn't notice that. 
In every arena, you meet the purest, right? Like there's some people that are they're just the purest about whatever it is, and there's certainly people that are that way with music. They're too snotty to listen to music on the radio, and so they play their own music. Notice the middle guy is clearly moving with the trumpet. And so you take these things that I'm, I'm sharing with you, that we live in a world that's vying for our attention, our attention span is shrinking, and we're incredibly distracted. Driving is just one illustration of this. I want to propose to you this today. What if we're missing the most important thing? With our short attention spans, everything vying for our attention, and all these different distractions, what if we're missing the most important thing we're supposed to pay attention to? A couple weeks ago, my youngest daughter, who's over in Bridge Kids right now, uh, got a pair of glasses. It was her first pair of glasses. We knew that she was struggling with her eyesight when she told us she was having a hard time seeing the board, but we didn't think it was that big of a deal. And so she goes to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor says that she needs glasses mostly for seeing the board and reading, but didn't make it sound like it was that big of a deal. But when the glasses came, it was like she entered a whole new world. What she would do, she's 10 years old, she'd grab her glasses and she'd be like, Dad, watch this. And she'd run across the kitchen. She'd put on the glasses and be like, you're so clear. As if like my world changed because she put the glasses on. And then she'd, she'd tell me, she'd be like, the board is so clear. And they'd play these videos at school. And I never knew why they played them because they were so blurry. But they're not blurry. And it was like when she put the glasses on, she entered into a whole new world. And it wasn't all great, by the way. Um, just a little side note, and I see that there are some uh, young men in this room today. Uh, boys are stupid, just FYI. I've got four daughters. And uh, there's one boy in her class that said to her, Gracie, you look like a nerd with your glasses. But by God's grace, before I could go destroy this fourth grader, <laughs> pretty, there are some tall fourth graders, but anyway, um, one of her friends said, no, Gracie's beautiful. And I'm like, that's the best kid at your school, you know, other than you and your sisters, but that's not awesome. And uh, my favorite line that Gracie said with her new glasses when she ran up to her mom in the kitchen and just looked at her and said, that's what you look like. <laughs> As if for the past 10 years, she's not had this experience. <laughs> with the glasses, she's now into a whole new world. She's paying attention differently. And, and I just wonder for us, what if we're missing the most important thing? And maybe because of the distractions or, or, or maybe because of all the other stuff that's happening, maybe our own short extension span, maybe we've drifted off course and we're not getting an accurate picture of who God is. But he's speaking to us. Remember, we started talking about that last week and we were looking through the first three verses of the book of Hebrews and today we're going to pick up in verse four. And so really it's a continuation of what we were talking about when we started looking at this book that starts off. Remember, it doesn't tell us who the author is. It doesn't tell us who the audience is. It just jumps right in. It gets right into the action. It says, God spoke a long time ago in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. And we talked about all those different ways and all the different people. But it says in these last days, he's speaking to us. It's through his son. And before the author even tells us what his son's talking about or what he says, it says who he is. And so we spent those three verses just looking at Jesus is greater than, greater than all of creation. He is the creator greater than all other glories, greater than all other power. And then look at what it says next. It continues to go on. And remember, there's all these different people that are hearing this that are at different places in their spiritual journey, and God has a word for them. Same with this church. Some of you on fire for Jesus, God's got a word for you. Some of you drifting from Jesus, God's got a word for you. In fact, today specifically addresses that audience. Some of you think you're in standing with God that you're not really in. God's got a, the book of Hebrews continually warning those people. 
Some of you uh, are not as mature as maybe you should be. Uh, God's got a word for you. Some of you are, are, in, are in a spot where, where you're not sure if Jesus is even real. God's got a word for you from this book. Look at what he says in this passage. Verse 4. So he's already talked about greater than all glory, greater than all power, greater than all creation. And verse 4, having become as much superior, or you could say greater, to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So remember, Jesus has got the name that's above every name. He's got the name by which we will be saved. You're to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And it goes on to say, for, and here's the reason he's got the greater name, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The answer is none. He didn't say that to any of the angels. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Angels don't worship other angels. Angels worship Jesus. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But, so here's a contrast, the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Think about that. The heavens, like a garment, they will be changed. But you, contrast, are the same, and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Answer, none. But then it talks about the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? And so here, remember, the the passage is starting in light of all the stuff we talked about last week. Remember, Jesus is the end all. He's the heir of all things. You receive an, an inheritance at the end. He sustains everything. He's the be all. He's the beginning of all things. He was the creator of everything. So he's the end all, be all, beginning of all, who owns it all. Therefore, we can trust him with all. And we might settle for lesser glories, and we might steal his glory, but he's greater than all other glories. And he upholds the universe with the word of his mouth. That, you talk about listening to him. With his word, he upholds the universe. He's greater than all other power. And then here it says he's greater than all other angels. Why angels? You wonder that? Why are we talking? We don't talk about angels other than it pops up on a show every once in a while and some spiritual, you know, I'm not into Jesus, but I'm spiritual and people like angels and it's like glowing halos or Cupid falls in love, you know, all that kind of stuff. Why, why, would, why would we talk about angels here? And the reality is we don't know for sure. It's very possible and a lot of people believe uh, that folks then had some false beliefs about angels and because of the persecution that was starting to come, because remember, they're living in a time where nobody's died for their faith yet. They've not been tempted to the point of shedding blood, the book of Hebrews will say. There's been a cost for following Jesus and they can feel, they can sense that things are coming in culture, but no one's died for their faith. But there's a temptation to compromise. And like some cults today, Jehovah's Witnesses being one, some of you have that background, or some of you might be checking out Jesus here and wondering if what your cult has told you is true, um, they'll be tempted to say that Jesus is just an angel, maybe the supreme angel, but it's a compromise about Jesus. He's not really God, but he's really special. There's something unique, like some people will say he's a prophet or he's a teacher, he's, he's, it's a compromise about Jesus. And so some of the people in, in this church were probably tempted to do that. And we know from intertestamental books, those are books that were written between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
the Jews had a lot of crazy beliefs about angels. Not saying that these things are from the Bible, but I am saying this is what they believe. They believe things like we all have a guardian angel. That's not in the Bible, by the way. Some of you might believe that. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say it's not true, just not in there at all. Uh, some of them believed that angels were a counsel that God consulted when he made big decisions. And some believed that they, there were many angels that didn't want God to create humans, and so God annihilated those angels. <laughs> I don't, this is not in the Bible. They just believe these things. Some believe that the angels controlled the weather. If so, they're just messing with us. Some people believe that there were 200 angels that put the stars in place. Uh, some believe that, that they didn't want Moses to receive the law. And so there were lots of beliefs out there about angels. But what this passage does is it talks about what the Bible says about angels and then says Jesus is greater than the angels. And so our first point is simply this. While there was people there in that time that were tempted to even worship angels, and if you saw one, you'd probably be tempted to worship an angel. Pay attention. Jesus is greater than angels. Pay attention. If, if an angel gave you a message, you'd listen. Pay attention. Jesus is greater than the angels. So you see it here in verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here's the problem with talking about angels. Is that most of us don't have a category for that. We've never even seen an angel. And you might have ideas and you're like, well, is that in the Bible or not in the Bible? Did I get that from a TV show? Just kind of like cultural myth that goes around, kind of like the Jews were believing these things about angels. Like, where does that even come from? And so when we talk about this, it's just this concept that's out there. It's like a story I read a couple weeks ago about a guy in the Midwest. His name was Virgil, and he had a um, hereditary disease in his eyes where he became blind at about five years old. And he was 50 years old um, in the article that I was reading. And there was an eye doctor who told him that we can cure your eye disease. You have to go through this surgery, this procedure, and it was way more technical than I can even remember to share with you. When I was talking about his pupils and things like that. If you're an optometrist or whatever and you're interested, I can send you the link. But uh, the story was that he goes in for the surgery. The day of the surgery happens. And then after it's done, he's, the moment of taking the, the bandages is coming. And where they're going to take the bandages off and we're going to see whether he can see. And that's the viral video moment, right? Like all the people from the clinic are in there. His friends and his family are in there. And if you've ever seen those YouTube videos where somebody puts on the, they've been colorblind and they put on the, the colorblind glasses and they can see yellow and they can see blue, like that's what you're expecting to happen. The reason why the story got my attention is because that's not what happens. The surgery was successful. Prior to the surgery, all he could tell when he was in a room is whether it was light or dark. He couldn't see shapes, he couldn't see colors, he couldn't see movement. After the surgery, he could see colors, he could see movement, he could see shapes. But when they took the bandages off, there was no excitement. There was no crying. There was no yelling. The writer of the article said it's because he had no category for the things he was seeing because he, he couldn't remember ever seeing any of them before. And so for me to talk to you about angels or to jump into this passage which talks about angels, there's a difficulty. Most of you here have never seen an angel, or at least you don't know you have. And we've got all these different ideas about angels. I like what Billy Graham says in his book, about angels. He says this, I do not believe in angels because someone has told me about a dramatic visitation from an angel, impressive as some rare testimonies may be. I do not believe in angels because UFOs are astonishingly angel-like in some of their reported appearances. I do not believe in angels because ESP experts are making the realm of sp the spirit world seem more plausible. I do not believe in angels because of sudden worldwide emphasis on the reality of Satan and demons. I do not believe in angels because I've ever seen one. Because I haven't. 
Now listen to this. I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels. And I believe the Bible is the true Word of God. Amen? So what does the Bible say about angels? We've got some things right here in this passage in Hebrews chapter 1 where it talks about they told some to be wind and some to be fire. We know later in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, it says that some of us have interacted with angels and don't know it. It says in chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels and you didn't even know it. The first time we see an angel in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3. What happens after Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden is God guards the tree of good and evil with an angel with a flaming sword to bring vengeance on anybody that comes to try to eat of that tree. So there's our first picture of angels. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, well, then angels are like popping up every other day. The next time we see an angel is in Genesis chapter 16. Oh, that's not that. That's like just over a dozen chapters later. That's 1,900 years later, just so you know. Not saying angels were silent for those 1,900 years. It's just the next time we actually get a description of them in the Bible is 1,900 years later. And then you read through the Bible, and the spectrum of appearances they have and the spectrum of things they are doing is so broad. They bring judgment for God. Read 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. In one night, the angel of the Lord kills 185,000 people. We see them described as looking just like a human, and people didn't even know if they were interacting with an angel or a human. And then we see descriptions like a body like a rock and a face like lightning. Oh, that's different. Six wings, cover their face, cover their feet, fly around. Like some have wings, some look like people. Like you, there's not like a physical description to give you. Sometimes they bring judgment. Sometimes they bring comfort. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Jesus, after being in the, the, the wilderness battling temptation, in Matthew chapter 4, it says this. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Interesting, because Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says that God uses angels to minister not just to Jesus, our Savior, but to the saved, to you and me. And some of us, we've interacted with angels and don't even know it, or they come to comfort us and we don't even know it. We see them as warriors throughout Scripture. There's battles taking place that we do not see. And so this is, it's happening, you read Daniel chapter 10, the angel Gabriel, the same angel that we read about at the Christmas story that came and brought news to Zechariah about John the Baptist's birth and news to Mary about Jesus' birth, is an angel that comes to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, and he says, I've been trying to get to you for 21 days, but I was in a fight. And then another angel came and helped me out. We don't see any of that stuff. It took you three weeks to get through that fight? What's going on out there? We did a, a book study in the book of Ephesians last year. Let me remind you of a passage of Scripture from Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Angels are fighting all around us, and we don't see it, but it's happening. And do you know that they're incredibly interested in your life? Because there's a battle for your heart. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 and verse 10 that every time a sinner turns to God, all of the angels rejoice. Just so you know, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. It's revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, that's the gospel, the news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, and get this, things into which angels long to look. Some translations say they stoop down to peek into your salvation. 
because an angel will never know what it's like in personal experience to be separated from God and then reconciled to him. But they see it in you. I love how the message translates that passage. It says, all they were told was they were serving you. You, who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit the message of those prophecies fulfilled. And listen to this. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels will give anything to be in on this. And back to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, it says that the church with all these people, you know, this guy and this lady and these different races and different belief systems before get converted to Christ and then come to a place like this and worship together. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, known to who? To the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. So what do they do? Back to our passage. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 14. Are they not all, these angels, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Those who are to inherit salvation are the people that are Christians, that are saved, a lot of times we'll say. So angels are servants of the saved. They're battling on your behalf. They're working all around you. Protection, comfort, judgment, things that are happening that you don't see, they're executing for God. One of my favorite stories about this in the Bible, if you want to read more about angels, we can't obviously cover every passage on angels in this sermon, is in 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a man of God. His name is Elisha. Elijah is 1 Kings. Elisha, 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, the man of God has been given prophecies that have been thwarting the Syrian king. The Syrian king is not happy about that, would be the simple way to say it. And so he wants to arrest Elisha. He sends his army to go and arrest Elisha. And Elisha's servant, this young guy, goes outside, sees the army out there. So imagine, like, trying to imagine being that guy. You're this young guy. You're helping out the man of God. He's got this special ministry. And you go outside, and there's a SWAT team in the bushes, tanks up on the ridge. You go back inside. You say to him, what are we supposed to do? And he says, don't worry. There's more of us than there are of them. And you're like, brah, there's two of us. <laughs> and he's like, no, God, open his eyes so that he can see. Let me read you how the Bible says it. 2 Kings chapter 6. It says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, so he goes back into his master, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. It's easy to say. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. No, 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 no. You don't know. You, don't, you didn't see what I saw. Then Elijah prayed, and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You don't see it, but it's happening. You say, well, that's a cool story, but that's not like in the Old Testament. That's in the Bible. Uh, Billy Graham in his book on angels shares another story about a missionary about 100 years ago, a Scottish missionary. And he was ministering to a bunch of cannibals, and the cannibals were coming to kill he and his wife one evening. They were in their hut, praying on their knees. They could hear them coming, making noises and howling, weapons going off, all of that. And they're praying, and they're praying. And to their amazement, the sun came up, and they could hear these savages leaving, going through the bushes. They were just outside of their place. A year later, one of the chiefs of the tribe that was coming to kill them had come to Christ. The missionary was talking to the chief and said, there was an evening about a year ago. We thought for sure you were going to come and kill us. Why didn't you? And the chief said, 
who were those men that were with you? And the guy said, there were no men. And he said, no, there were hundreds of tall men in shining clothes with swords around your hut, so we couldn't get to you. The missionary was John Patton, if you want to look the story up. It's happening. You might not see it, but you've probably been ministered to by angels, and you don't even know it. But don't forget the point of the passage. Here's the deal. Here's what we see when we look at this passage. Angels are awesome, but Jesus is greater. Don't miss what the passage is saying. Jesus, verse 4, is superior to the angels. He's greater than the angels. And then look at verse 5. Four, and here's a reason. To which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I've begotten you? None. That's not in the Bible. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, and you want to reason, like some of you are just very, maybe some of you are skeptics or some of you are just analytical, and you want logical reasons. Here's a logical reason you can just see from the Bible. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Angels don't worship angels. Angels are awesome. If you and I saw an angel, we'd be tempted to worship the angel. But angels worship Jesus. Just read the Christmas story. Behold, I bring you good news. It'll be great joy for all people. Why? Jesus. Until you'd be tempted to worship an angel. Look at this passage real quick. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. It's the Apostle John. He sees an angel and he's tempted to worship the angel. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant. Remember, the angels are serving the saved with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Who's that? Jesus. And that's what Hebrews goes on to tell us. Look at verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Okay, there's a physical description, but here's a contrast. The sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. It's not changing. The scepter of uprighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've got power over all these things. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, talking about Jesus, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth, and you created the angels. In the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. The earth, all creation is going to be gone, but you will not, Jesus. They all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you, contrast, are the same, and your years have no end. And get this one. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Why sit? Why sit? Maybe you go back to verse 4. There's a ver verse 4 is a verse that if a Jehovah's Witness or some of those cult people stand at your front door and try and tell you you're wrong about Jesus, Jesus isn't really God, verse 4 is one of those verses they use. Because did you see it said he became superior to the angels? Well, then he must be created is what they'll say. He's part of creation. And so they're just, they'll minimize. They're not going to say he's not real or any of that stuff. It's historically, you can't really say that honestly. They'll say, but he's, he's not God because he became a superior to the angels. He wasn't always. God chose a man and made him superior. He's the supreme angel. Okay, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you only take one verse. And so I don't know if you're visiting today and it's your only time at this church or you've been here for a while. That By the time I'm not a pastor here anymore, I hope you'll at least have taken away this Bible study skill from me. You know, in real estate, the key is location, location, location. In studying your Bible, the key is context, 
context, context. Okay, so you're saying that Jesus was created. Let's back up. Oh, I don't know, two verses. It says that Jesus is the creator. Remember, end all, be all, beginning of all. He owns it all. So it can't, the passage cannot be saying that he was created because it just said that he's the creator. And we just read a few verses later that he's the creator, that he created everything that's in creation, even the heavens. So it's not saying that he's created. So what is it saying? This will be a, a theological moment for us as a church. Wrap your mind around this. When he became human, he became a little lower than the angels, but he remained God. Yeah, we can't totally grasp that, by the way. But it is what the Scripture teaches, that he was fully God and fully man. When he became man, he became a little lower than the angels. That's what the Scriptures say, and we'll get into the next passage where it talks about that, that we're, we are created a little lower than the angels. And so he became man. But then it says here that he sat. And so then he's exalted. He became superior to the angels when, he, when his work was completed. That was the cross. And so what does that mean for us? Well, let me tell you something about angels. Angels are awesome. They didn't redeem you. Only Jesus does that. And he did that by completing the work the Father gave him to do. A couple verses for your own study. A little later, John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus' priestly prayer. He prays, I've completed the work you gave me to do. Then on the cross, he cries out, John 19, 30, it is finished. You sit down when your work is done. Jesus' work is done. The, the angels, still serving. They're always going to be serving. Their work's not done. They're serving the saved. But Jesus, it's done. Here's what it means for you. Here's why you should see Jesus as superior to the angels. I remember one time talking to a guy. He was struggling with the same sin. He kept, like the Peter says, like a dog returns to its vomit. He knew it was foolish, but he kept going to the same sin. And he asked me, he said, Scott, how long do I have to feel bad after I ask for forgiveness before I can then move on from it? And that might not be the statement you've made, but some of you feel like you can't be forgiven or some feel like you've got to do something to kind of earn your forgiveness. Do you know what you're saying in that? What Jesus did on the cross isn't enough. It's like, a, like the Catholics paying penance. Like you just got to do these things and say this stuff and, and, do these, and make these sacrifices. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus, when he said it is finished, it, you, the forgiveness is available to you. You just have to receive it. How long do you need to feel bad? You're not paying something through your feeling bad. Jesus came so you could have life and have it abundantly. You're going to let the enemy rob you of that? What he did to the cross is finished. You can be forgiven. Pay attention to this guy. He's the only one that can offer you forgiveness. Pay attention. Jesus, angels are awesome, but Jesus is greater than angels. Amen? Not only that, second point is this. Pay attention because drifting from Jesus is dangerous, and he specifically addresses those of you that are drifting from Jesus. He uses nautical language of a boat drifting from the dock. The anchor comes up. Listen to what he says. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Back in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, and so the therefore is in light of all the stuff we just saw in chapter 1. Jesus is greater than all of creation, greater than all power, greater than all glory, greater than angels. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. So that's what you look like. We must pay much greater attention to what we have heard. We've already heard this. Lest we drift away from it. There's that drift language. You might underline that. For since the message declared by angels, probably referring to the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape, talking to New Testament believers, if we neglect such a great salvation? So here the language that's used is language of drifting. I don't know if you saw that up in verse 1. 
That's nautical language. Just so you know, drifting is not rebellion from God. It's not you shaking your fist. It's not hard-hearted. I know what you say, but I'm going to do my own thing. Drifting is moving away from God. It's just often unintentional. And let's be really honest. We live in probably the time in American history where there are more people drifting from Jesus than there's ever been before. I just think about just our church, okay? I'm not talking about the, all the churches in the triangle. Just our church, just so you know. Some people think when pastors talk about numbers, it's their own ego. And uh, that I just want you to know that I know it doesn't matter if the church is 500 or 500,000. It does not change my standing before Jesus. I've got a lot of sin issues. Uh, I don't think that's one of them. And so I'm going to intentionally not exaggerate our numbers here. But we had about 1,000 people attending our church before COVID. So we'll just say 900 just so that it's not, you know, we'll de-baptify it, you know, and make it 900. The Baptist churches always blow me away because they're like, we have 20,000 members. You're like, there's 500 people here. What are you talking about? But anyway. And so we had about 900 people that would attend regularly at the time. And now, not today, I mean, with the weather and all that, but on a regular Sunday post-pandemic, it's 600 to 800 people. So we'll just say 700 people. But let me tell you a little secret. Y'all aren't the same people. So if you're new to this church and uh, you're wondering, like, what's it like? What are these people like? About 50% of you are new to this church, just FYI. About 400 of the folks were here before the pandemic, they're back, and then there's like these new people. So just think about what that means. If there were 900 and only 400 of them are the same people, there's about 500 people out there. Where are they at? Now, we've called everybody that was a member and all those kinds of things, trying to care for folks and email and reach out, text message. Some of them have gone to, they didn't like what we did with masks or they didn't like, you know, something, they just needed a new church. Great. If they're at a gospel preaching church, amen. We're here to reach a city, not get everybody to come to our place. That's great. But I want to tell you, that's a really small number. There's a couple, like literally, handful, that are watching online because of uh, COVID or different health issues of their own, Total, that get it. Let's be honest about the rest of them. They're drifting. They're not as close to Jesus as they once were. Some of you are waving like, I'm here, I see you. I see, I can always see that hand. I'm a pastor, I see that hand, I see that hand. Okay, that's those people, and maybe you need to reach out to some of them, maybe you need to call them. But what about your own heart? Are you as close to Jesus as you once were? If not, the passage is talking to you. How do you drift? How does this even happen? Because I want to tell you something. This passage is a warning. It's talking about dangers. It's boating language, nautical. You're drifting. There's danger. And so how do we drift? Well, look at the passage. It says the one most basic way is simple neglect. Did you see that? Neglect. Maybe you neglect your time in God's Word. Maybe you neglect your gathering with other believers. Maybe you just neglect the true things and you're starting to believe things that aren't true. But how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You think about neglect. In neglect, you end up somewhere you didn't mean to be unintentionally. I was thinking about it with this passage. I remember a time several years back, I had gone to a funeral in Greensboro. And if I remember right, I just hopped on I-40 and drove west until I hit Greensboro. The church was just off the expressway. And I was going to, you know, pay my respects to this family, um, share my, you know, just sympathy with their loss, and did that. So I went through the service, you know, hour long, hour and a half, whatever it was. And when it was done, I went, and it was a Saturday, not a Sunday, so I got some Christian chicken and uh, called my wife. And I said, hey, I'm about an hour away. I'll be back. I had my cell phone. Didn't have a charger for my cell phone. The battery was dying. So I was just letting her know, hey, my battery's dying. I'm not going to use my GPS. See you later. Get off the phone. I hop on I-40 West, drive for about 30 minutes. And I didn't have my GPS on, so I don't know what your app is, like which one you use. Recalculating, make a U-turn. It's code for, hey, idiot. I didn't have it on. And then I noticed a sign that said I-40 West. 
And I was like, wait a minute, that's what I took to get here. Oh, man. Grab my phone, go to call my wife. Phone dies as I'm calling her. Ah, I can't tell her. I turn around, I drive back, go back to the Chick-fil-A. Ah, some of them are Christian, so hey, can I use your phone? I call my wife. Hey, I've been driving for an hour, but I'm at the same place. <laughs> Not intentional. Wasn't trying to leave home. Wasn't trying to drive to California. Just simple neglect. And that's what happens to some of us spiritually. It's just, hey, it's one Sunday and I miss and I don't want to get COVID so I don't go and then I need to do my devotions. But I mean, it's like God's not legalistic so I don't need to read the Bible every day. And it's like, we just kind of start drifting off a degree, two degrees, five degrees, 50 degrees for long. Let me tell you something. You don't drift toward Jesus. You don't drift toward the things of God. Just simple neglect. And for other people, it's isolation. And that's happened. I talked to a couple this week and they're talking about whether they're going to leave the church or not. And I was like, hey, let's be candid. I just said, I don't mean to everybody I get on the phone with, so don't be afraid to call me. But I said, hey, let's just be candid. You've isolated yourself for two years. You're not leaving people. You're leaving an organization now. And so you don't feel connected relationally. If you come back here, you've got to re-engage. Or if you go somewhere else, you've got to engage because you've been living in isolation. And they said, that's true. And I read this passage and it made me think of another boating story I saw. Uh, well, I think it was this summer, June or July. I can't remember if I shared it with you or not, but there was a story in Wilmington. There was a guy that was 37 miles offshore fishing by himself. He didn't have his kill switch on. He fell out of the boat, and the boat drove away. He didn't have his life jacket on. The guy would have died, except the boat almost hit a father and son miles away as they were fishing. And they saw that the boat wasn't manned, and so they went and they got on the boat. They turned it around. They used his GPS and tracked it back to where he was at. He treaded water for an hour there. And they gave him his boat back and kind of a Good Samaritan story and got him back in there. The Coast Guard on the news said the warning was how dangerous it is to be that far offshore by yourself. We're going to get to it in Hebrews chapter 3, but I want you to know Christianity is not meant to be done by yourself, not in isolation. Christianity is a team sport. You are at war, and you cannot win by yourself. Take care, it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to not just drift, fall away from the living God. But, and here's the, the antidote, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's one of the reasons we offer community groups here at the church, not because we want this program to be so successful, because we want you to be connected with other believers. It's not meant to be done in isolation because it leads to deception. That's what that passage just said. And by deception, what I mean in that for us right now, sin is always deceptive. But I mean we deceive ourselves on where we're at before God. You think about a guy like David, a man after God's own heart, writes a bunch of the Bible. How does he get to a spot where he's committing adultery and killing his friend to cover it up? Drifting just a little bit, a little bit at a time, over a long period of time, he's farther from Jesus than he ever meant to be. Jesus addresses a church in Revelation that gets like that. They think some things are true about them, but he tells them what's really true. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You make me sick is another way to translate that. For you say, this is what you think is true about you. I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. Not realizing, here's what is true about you. You're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. How do they get there? Because they thought they were good. And you heard Pastor Danny give the, the announcement about how over the last couple of weeks we had COVID testing here on our campus. And, you know, we had about almost 17,000 people come on campus to get tested. Think about what each one of them were doing. 
And I talked to some of them. Some people were coming just because they needed to travel, so they had to get a good test. Some people had terrible symptoms. They're like barely opening the window up, like stick it in, get it out of here, you know, do another thing. But every person was going to check and see what was going on inside of them. They were going to take a test, and all the tests were going to come back 24 to 48 hours and say, detected or not detected. And I was thinking for us as a church, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a test where you could find out about your love for Jesus? Like passion for Jesus, detected or not detected? Fondness for Jesus, a treasuring of Jesus, worship of Jesus, detected or not detected? But you know what there is? It's in the Bible. We talked about one of them uh, two weeks ago. Where's your money? Do you want to know if you're in love with Jesus? Go to your checkbook. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Detected or not detected? What about your heart? What about your mind? What about, do, you, do you meditate on the Scriptures? Because that's going to reveal to you, is there a fondness for Jesus? Let me read you what the Psalms say. The Psalms tell you what wisdom is and what love for, for God is. And it says this in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2. It's the very beginning of the Psalms. Psalm 1 and verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the Bible. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If you're drifting, that's not what's happening. And then I thought, another reason that we drift is we just have spiritual amnesia. We're forgetful. Do you ever read your Bible and you read the Old Testament about the Israelites and it's like on one page, God does a miracle and the next page, they're making an idol and you're like, you guys are so stupid. Like, have you ever read Exodus chapter 32? In Exodus chapter 32, what happens is Moses goes up on the mountain. He's up there for 40 days. 40 days isn't that long. And they're like, Moses died or he left. He's done with us. We need a God. Aaron, will you make a God for us? And Aaron says, give me your jewelry. And he makes a golden calf. And then when Moses comes back, he's like, ah, this calf came out. He's like, you liar. But do you know what they say about this? You don't even have to be a Bible scholar. Like, they've gone through. So God's done miracles through the book of Exodus. And all the miracles are actually showing that he's greater than the false gods that the Egyptians worship. And so whether it's the gnats or the frogs or the Nile, like all those different plagues. And then he has them cross the, the Red Sea on dry ground. And then in Exodus chapter 32, about a month or so later, they're making a God and they're saying, this is the God who let, it didn't even exist. Like how stupid is that? The statue didn't exist when you went through the Red Sea on dry ground. And now you're saying it did all the plagues and had you walk through? Like that's just nonsense. But then I thought about me. How many times have I said to God, God, if you just answer this prayer, God, if you just forgive me, I'll never do that again. If you'll just, and then like 30 days later, it's like it never happened. We have spiritual amnesia, and so we drift. And then there's another theory that I have. It's called the big wave theory. Another boat story that I read was a guy that was out on his boat, and he was with his dog, so he wasn't totally alone. His dog's name was Mitch, by the way, uh, if you want to look the story up. And uh, he was trying to get the dinghy pulled close to his boat, and a wave hit the boat, and he fell in the water. The boat drove off with his dog, and then he had to swim a half a mile to a, a light beacon. He clinged to the light beacon for three hours asking for help. And then I thought, you know what? That's what's happened to a lot of people in our churches. The, a pandemic hit and knocked them down, or they lost a loved one, or they lost a job, or they started to reevaluate, like some big event took place, and now they, they need to be rescued. But you know what the Scripture says? If you've drifted, what we're neglecting is the great salvation. That's the rescue story. It's going back. It's not you need some new word from God. It's don't forget the original word. Don't forget, pay attention to what you've already heard. And then it talks about the deliverance of the Ten Commandments, and then it says in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? is declared for at first. 
And so he's talking about the gospel. And he goes on to talk about the gospel was testified by miracles. And you read the book of Acts, and that's what it's talking about. And if you read, and just a reminder to you, those of you who can't remember all that we learned when we were in Ephesians, do you remember in Ephesians when I was talking about spiritual battle? I talked about the helmet of our salvation. But let's be honest, some of us, and I'll tell you it's happened to me, do you ever hear preaching and you think, yeah, I know the gospel? Like somebody, the pastor's up there going, hey, Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. He's offering you eternal life. Pray the sinner's prayer. Trust Christ. And you know, and I'm not saying you, didn't, you don't minimize it for other people. You know there's somebody that might need to hear that. It's going to change their eternity. But to yourself, you're thinking, I already know that. Can we move on to something else? I've done that before when I'm listening to preachers preach. And it's so self-centered and so narrow-minded because it, it makes us think that, that the gospel is just a ticket to salvation. And we forget how the gospel infiltrates every area of our lives. Let's just take the big wave. Let's think about big wave. If big wave happened to you, knocked you back, think about how the gospel would get you back. What, a crime happened to you, uh, a death, the loss of a loved one, you lost a relationship over the political stuff that's happening, like whatever knocked you back. Think about the gospel. Jesus was abandoned by his 12 closest friends betrayed by one of them. It's the greatest crime in human history. They're killing God. He didn't sin at all. They're putting him on a cross. And God uses it for your greatest good. If you filtered your life through the gospel, every bad event would be transformed in your It'd be like putting on, it'd be a whole new world of putting on a pair of glasses, and all of a sudden it becomes so much more clear what God might be doing. Or maybe you're struggling in your marriage. A lot of marriages struggled through the pandemic. Maybe that's why you're drifting. You can't believe you made these promises and this happened in there. Husbands, you're commanded to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Have you gone to the gospel and thought about what that looks like? It wasn't a compromise. It wasn't they agreed to have… He's, he's dying for his enemies, and he keeps coming, and he keeps pursuing. Or some of you have a prodigal child, and you can't believe, why hasn't God made them turn, and how come they, and why are my kids like this, or how about my coworkers, or what about this thing? And then you think about, think about the story of the prodigal son and the father. He's going to let you, I'm going to give you space to go and ruin your life and waste your life, but I'm here for you, and I'll come running after you. Keep pursuing. The gospel infiltrates every area of your life. It says, go back to the God. It's saying, don't neglect such a great salvation. Pay attention. What are we to pay attention to? Your salvation. But it's not just a ticket to heaven. It impacts every area of your life. But we drift. We're going to take communion in just a moment, and we're going to sing the song come thou fount, come thou fount of every blessing. I don't know if you know the story of that song, but the author of that song was a drifter. And he would drift from God, like we're all prone to do. And the story goes that uh, one time he was trying to fulfill the void that was in his life after he walked away from Jesus by traveling. He thought, if I just traveled and had these experiences, you know, some of you had the vacation syndrome before, it's like, that's, that's going to fix it. And uh, he had that. And on one of his travels, uh, he bumped into a lady who was on passionate love with Jesus, and she was reading a hymn. It was this hymn. And he was the author, and she didn't know that. And she said to him, hey, you should read this. Have you seen this? And he starts reading it, knowing that he's running from God. And he tells her, I wrote that. Let me read you one of the lines in, the, in this hymn. It goes like this. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger... And then think about the great salvation. This is the gospel interposed his precious blood. <laughs> the woman said to him that day, these mercies are still flowing, and he came back to Christ. If you're drifting, even if it's one degree, you can come back today. 
watching online or here in this room, you can come back. 